0: Well, welcome to this month's uh, March, uh, the 20th, 2020 edition of uh, Ask Your Arab Doctor on KMUD 91.1 FM. From 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you'll be invited to call in with questions uh, related to this month's very specific topic of the uh, worldwide frenzy uh, surrounding the coronavirus. Um, Dr. Pete is going to be joining us, and uh, he's bringing... A very interesting mental shift in the way that we're looking at this to bear and um, just want to state at the very outset of this that it's a very emotional subject and no one is taking death lightly Uh, when you've got loved ones that are dying is absolutely no joke so whilst some of the comments may seem a little light on it in terms of statistical numbers and uh, some presentations from a uh, Dr. Wolfgang Wodarg in Germany. I uh, will give information out for people to search all of this on the internet and see for themselves how some of these statistics have been extremely skewed, and that the data uh, can be seen fairly clearly for, from several other sites around the world that monitor um, outbreaks of viral pneumonia. Um, so, Dr. Pete, are you with us? Yes. Okay, thanks so much for joining us. As uh, usual at the beginning of the show, uh, I always uh, ask you to introduce yourself so that people who are listening to the show who maybe haven't listened to you or heard you before uh, can find out a little more about you, and then at the end of the show, we can give out your website where people can uh, go read some of the abstracts and articles that you've written and find out some more about you. Okay, Uh, I got a
1: master's of arts degree in 1960 from University of Oregon, then a PhD in 1972, uh, specializing in physiology and biochemistry, uh, and uh, have been concentrating uh, on uh, reproductive uh, and aging uh, biology, but uh, with special attention to the nervous system and how nutrition interacts with. With those changes. And uh, it turns out I I've never was at all interested in virology, uh, but it happens that this particular virus uh, impinges uh, exactly on the things that I've been uh, working on for a long time. Uh, yeah. Inflammation, aging, uh, and uh, cellular respiration.
0: Yeah, excellent. Good. Okay. I know we've uh, spoken the last few days here to thrash out some of the details surrounding the uh, a very alarming, uh, certainly media alarming uh, information and the um, lockdown statewide in California and across the states in America, um, similar to what they did in China. Anyway, without going too far into that, um, I think what I would like to try and do is to just um, outline uh, influenza for people. I think a lot of the terms confuse people. I think there's a lot of terms and a lot of um, you know, synonyms given for things uh, and that people need to understand what it is that we are working our way through here, what we are dealing with, influenza, and the, um, the various designations given to these influenzas of which there are four, type A, B, C, and D, with only really type A, um, producing all of the major flus, the Spanish flu and the Asian flu and Hong Kong flu, the bird flu and SARS and MERS, etc. These are all the things that I think have come to the public attention over the years with, um, in the last 15 years for sure, the potential pandemics that never did become pandemics, but certainly were very fatal to those uh, great percentage of people that got them from uh, the MERS and the uh, SARS, so influenza I mean <laughs> when most people get a common cold, a common uh, coronavirus, it is another coronavirus. so let 's not uh, let 's not keep them separate so people can understand that the common cold is the same uh, type of uh, genera uh, of virus as this influenza, and that the main the main issue I think with this uh, before we get into some of the uh, Political and um, some of the uh, actual facts around statistics that have really i think alarmed people um, and not just to mention the people that have been shown in hospitals and on ventilators and um, Unfortunately, for those people um, that have died it is extremely tragic i 'm not saying or downplaying it in any way um, so influenza the uh, as far as i know the main <laughs> the main thing with influenza. Um, is the massive amount of inflammation that comes as the body's immune response to the virus. And it's a severe complication that we get uh, viral pneumonia. um, And that is and or secondarily bacterially infected. Um, And then so that you can get various strains of bacteria that wouldn't normally take up residence in the lungs that can become overwhelming to a system that's already crashing Uh, because of the information. Uh, Yeah, uh, when a person uh, gets uh, uh,
1: verified influenza virus, for example, a a typical uh, analysis uh, will find uh, various other viruses like common cold viruses uh, and other uh, respiratory uh, uh, pathogens uh, as well as the true influenza virus. So even when there's a confirmed uh, definite a flu virus, uh, you can't be sure that that's really the culprit uh, because uh, l- like um, a- at present the um, most of the people getting seriously sick or dying uh, are old uh, uh, def- definitely beyond their mid-50s and the-, the highest mortality is over 70 and uh, uh, w- one place uh, said that 99% of the people dying uh, with the cl- Uh, coronavirus, uh, we're we're suffering from other very serious uh, things such as diabetes, uh, hypertension, uh, uh, stroke symptoms, uh, and things that made it uh, much more likely that they would die from a stress, Uh, but uh, also other pathogens take advantage of that weak condition, and then just because you have one particular pathogen that you have a test for, uh, you can't be... I'm sure that uh, that is really a contributing factor, even when there are so many other pathogens
0: present yeah okay so uh somebody somebody catches a uh a a species of virus known to cause influenza, and that um then either does or doesn't become complicated um, We've heard a lot in the news about this particular outbreak and we'll get into the you know whether it's a zoonotic infection or whether it's weaponized and all of the uh, the, all of the things that come out that are seemingly uh, plausible but i know we've got some facts coming out that i'd be very interested to hear from you uh what you mentioned a couple of days ago and i don't know how long it would take for that to propagate but um we'll we'll find out from you in a moment um but the um the actual the actual death rate, really, is as you said, it's from the older populations. Although there's been reports of people, young people, uh, or middle-aged people, uh, have suddenly got the complications of this infection, which have become viral pneumonia and overwhelming inflammation, and that's how um, they suddenly end up short, very short of breath, um, and then needing ventilation in a hospital environment. And it's the seemingly the overburdened hospital system with those kind of cases that seems to be making the drastic uh, news. So, so so far as, um, let's get into the, uh, let's get into the origin of this because I think most people are just buying the, um, standard kind of doctrine that this is coming out of China. It's a Chinese origin. It's come from a wet market and it's a zoonotic infection, meaning that animal species that naturally have their own influenza, because it's not just human beings that suffer from influenza, but bats and pigs and camels and uh, mice and, and civet cats, etc. Many species have their own type of influenza, but um, rather than the uh, the news talking about. The wet markets and originating in Wuhan. You you came out with some <laughs> very very uh,
2: interesting fact,
0: interesting, controversial, or shocking um, news about it. And in terms of the gene sequencing that's happened, it's quite interesting for people to hear this. So, would you outline um, what you've understood as say, an origin for this? Virologists
1: in Europe and the United States, South Korea, Taiwan, uh, as well as China. Uh, have uh, the, the Chinese uh, refer to the DNA uh, sequence analysis as showing that the trunk uh, of the uh, of series uh, of the family tree uh, is in the United States, and the um, there are five different uh, branches uh, or, or varieties uh, occurring early in the United States. Uh, Before uh, the uh, uh, strain, the strain in China uh, identifies as the fourth or fifth branch off this trunk, Uh, and that that's based on the the fact that uh, they're analyzing uh, substitutions uh, of bases in in the DNA chain, and uh, when you see uh, uh, three uh, uh, different uh, changes, uh, the, the third one. Uh, uh, if, if you have one with two of the changes, and then a third one with three changes, and then a fourth with with four changes, uh, uh, the uh, the ones with the fewer changes uh, necessarily came before the, the last one. Right. right. Uh, you,
0: this is you, like a phylogenetic tree in botany, right, where they classify yeah, species. Yeah. So the, yeah. So the,
1: the the family tree of, of this virus shows that. Uh, the one occurring in, in November in Wuhan uh-huh. was either the fourth or fifth uh, descendant uh, of the, wow. this. virus
0: So, what's the what's the uh, what's the position on where this would have perhaps come from? Then, or um, uh, people have been pointing
1: out, um, uh, for example, an, a 2015 article in Nature magazine uh, was just a news item uh, mentioning. Uh, that uh, the people connected to the CDC, I think working at Fort Detrick, Maryland, uh-huh. were working uh, to produce a, vi- a vaccine uh, to the coronavirus. Uh, okay. and th- they were creating pathogens uh, to uh, develop uh, a vaccine in advance so that when a natural epidemic broke out, they would have a vaccine ready because normally okay. it takes... 12 to 18 months right. to prepare a vaccine for a new strain, and by that time the flu season has passed <laughs> and so the virus the vaccine doesn't do much good. This was pointed out in 1976 in connection with the so-called swine flu pandemic, which never existed. And the man okay. who pointed out that the, the whole idea of making a vaccine for influenza, a disease of that sort, which mutates rapidly, and the vaccine production takes at least a year, that the whole thing, he said, was conceptually fraudulent. So he got fired, and the government announced a pandemic, but basically only one person died from that virus, so it definitely wasn't a pandemic. And that was back
2: in 1976?
1: 76, yeah, the swine, great swine flu pan- pandemic in which the only people died were a few hundred from the vaccine and a few thousand that got paralyzed from the vaccine.
2: Wow. Okay, so basically what you're saying is that when virologists look at the gene sequencing of the current coronavirus and then they can see the genetic changes... Saying that there were four or five different
0: steps before it.
2: Steps before yep. it, meaning that the current or the one that broke out in Wuhan was, had ancestors that they'd already known about in the United States.
1: Uh, yeah, but if, if the uh, CDC could in their lab experimentally produce a, a pathogen that might naturally occur, if they could produce it before it naturally occurred then they could have their vaccine ready for it. So they were working on that. That was reported as a news item in 2015 in Nature. But right below the title of that news item, the editors last month inserted an editorial note that people have been citing this as indicating the possibility that the virus escaped from the the CDC's Fort Detrick lab at that they said that uh, wasn't a, a proper thing to uh, suggest. Uh, but even
2: so even if it wasn't an, an escaped uh, virus from a bioweapons lab, if they were working on viruses that occur naturally and trying to find vaccines for those viruses, then... Yeah,
1: that, that was a perfectly proper thing to do, according to their... They, they patented a coronavirus in 2003 specifically, to work on that project, so uh, there was nothing uh, 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 improper, uh, uh, conceptually, that they wanted to be ready with a, a vaccine. But th- that was a, a 2015 news report in Nature Magazine, and, and then last summer, uh, either July or August, it was in the news that the CDC had ordered the closure of the virus lab at Fort Detrick, because they had carelessly uh, let their, purific- their, their escape protection system uh, deteriorate, and uh, their their water filtering system uh, wasn't working, so they closed the lab because of the danger of an escaped virus. Uh, that okay. was in uh, August of last year, uh, just two months before the the outbreak. And then uh, American soldiers have been participating in international uh, military athletic contests. Uh, uh, It's been an opportunity for uh, uh, Olympic athletes to uh, practice becoming soldiers so they can uh, full-time train while still being an amateur. Uh, And... uh, uh, normally, uh, they've scored uh, very well in world competitions. But mm-hmm. last year, for unknown reasons, uh, there were uh, either 180 or, or, or more soldiers there in the competitions. Mm-hmm. And they came in 35th in, <laughs> in rank among all, all of the countries of the world. Uh,
2: The U.S. soldiers came in 35th in the competition that was held in Wuhan.
1: uh, Yeah, that's what I've been reading. Uh, And and the Chinese were uh, ridiculing uh, what uh, miserable athletes uh, they were and uh, commenting uh, on uh, whether that reflected on the American Army. But uh, normally uh, the Army athletes were outstanding uh, Olympic
0: quality. Interesting. So it went from, from what you would normally expect at an Olympic competition presentation, you'd have people at the highest le- level, it, it went from that, what would normally happen, to a, a stunning 35th place and comments about how amateurish uh, the competitors from America seemed. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the Chinese
1: in particular were uh-huh. saying it was hard to imagine why they came in so poorly.
0: Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Doctor on KMED Garbaville 91.1 FM. From at 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions uh, related to this current uh, pandemic and the uh, frenzy and hysteria here that's been generated for sure about COVID-19. Um, so, Dr. Pete, you were also um, mindful that um, and when I first heard it, I just couldn't, I couldn't quite believe it, but the uh, the potential source of this could potentially have been um, from this country and that I know there's been sparring uh, between both nations about who to blame because I think most people in the press want to just take the natural assumption that these zoonotic infections, they do occur, and it's a, typically the finger-pointing was... Uh, at the wet market in Wuhan because it exists and animals have been known throughout history, really, to transmit disease to humans. Um, But this information about the phylogenetic tree of the virus's uh, genome uh, and how it's changed over time indicates a historical timeline for it and that it was prior um, prior to the outbreak here in Wuhan that the uh, sequence originated. So that's uh, that's very interesting. Um,
1: a, a very recent uh, article was published uh, by uh, top uh, rank uh, virologist saying that uh, it, this particular virus uh, was impossible to uh, anticipate and to to engineer. So even though uh, that was the in, intent of the CDC for for years was to make a pathogen, uh, these recent virologists says. Say that uh, that, that uh, just the, the nature of this particular one, uh, they can't foresee that anyone could have could, could have uh, en- engineered this one. Wow. Okay.
0: I think probably what we want to talk about at this point in time is the uh, the numbers. Um, certainly, from a uh, alarmist point of view, uh, it's gripped everybody's attention. I would say that um, spectacularly having spectacularly gathered everybody's attention in one go. Um, they, they, I say they, but I won't say they, this event has shut down most of the Western and, and the rest of the world in terms of paralyzing it, um, both economically and financially. And I don't, um, I guess it's one thing to see or to wonder how we're going to come out of this economically. Uh, and another to um, speculate that people were sh- shorting the stocks um, or selling. We've had a couple of examples here of some senators who've uh, sold several million dollars' worth of stocks prior to this happening because of the briefing that was given back in late January. Yeah, yeah, the the uh, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Richard <laughs> Burr, the,
1: the morning before he gave a, a talk uh, and a week before announcing it to the public, he, one morning, sold uh, 1.7 million.
0: Okay. Let's, let's, um, let's briefly mention this doctor's name because um, uh, he's certainly in the news and he's been in the news before in 2010 when he um, basically said the same kind of thing about a previous, um, I won't call it a pandemic because it never did turn out to be a pandemic. Um, but um, Dr. Wolfgang Wodarg, So Wolfgang, uh, W-O-L-F-G-A-N-G, Wolfgang, and his last name is Wodarg, W-O-D-A-R-G. Would you like to speak a little bit to Wolfgang, uh, his background, or uh, we can get into the uh, statistics that he highlights at this point in time really basically flat-out refuse to believe that this is anything exceptional. And obviously there are links to... Uh, potential for producing vaccines and all the money that's involved in giving those contracts out, and not only that, but to the people that would readily take it up, given the scaremongering that's gone on with this. Uh, uh, John
1: Ioannidis is
0: another very well-known professor who
1: has, has analyzed uh, other statistical disease situations, and he is suggesting that this might be uh, history's greatest evidence fiasco uh, if that happens though considering the ruining the economy of the world no one is going to be able to admit that hmm. so, Go there, there's going to be a, a great campaign of, of um, trying to convince the world that something really is happening uh, despite uh, Ioannidis and Vodarg's, uh points that uh, they can't see the evidence uh, because uh, they weren't doing the testing uh, in previous years in a way that can be compared. And uh, the testing, uh, creating uh, many new uh, testing kits, it's very useful uh, and uh, can be used to help to control the virus but uh, when you look at its application in China, first it looked like 2.7 percent of those infected were dying. But as they uh, produced huge amounts of of the test kits and and were testing very large numbers of people, going the, the mortality rate per infection decreased to 0.6. Was was the most recent one I saw, uh, and people like Ioannidis are saying the the actual mortality figure uh, from uh, the statistically interpreting the available information could range from 0.025 uh, up to 5%. Uh, Italy uh, and uh, uh, Iran uh, have been uh, in areas reporting. Five or eight or ten percent mortality of those infected, yeah. but if, if you look at uh, just the people reporting to hospitals, for example, then ten uh, percent uh, wouldn't be uh, an unreasonable expectation because the sickest people will be the ones you're measuring. But uh, as the, the population expands, for example, in South Korea and, and China, where they measured uh, larger numbers of people. The mortality rate uh, ended up closer to 0.6%.
2: Right, and then of course there's people that might have this species of coronavirus, but they aren't getting tested. So if everybody, the whole entire population, were were tested, then that mortality rate would drop to what you're saying, something like 0.025. Yeah. So the the mortality rate is very skewed. It's not an accurate way to look at this. Uh,
1: you're, you're, uh, yeah, yeah, it's approaching the normal uh, flu mortality of one in a
0: thousand. So, Dr. Pete, you're probably, uh, probably just the right person to speak to uh, about statistics, having gone through, um, you know, everything that you did back at university and going through, um, you know, just... Providing data and comparing and understanding the way that statistics do get skewed, certainly to benefit the uh, editor or the, um, the magazine it's being published in. Um, just give us an idea about some of the statistical skewing, and then we'll look at the numbers of people that they're quoting uh, on various news sources and sites um, about this particular outbreak. I've, I've been
1: mentally comparing it to what has happened historically with cancer uh, incidence, mortality and diagnosis uh, uh, I saw a, a general electric a television advertisement years ago saying that if everyone would buy their x-ray machines uh, we could uh, uh, re- reduce the uh, or increase the cure rate of cancer to close to 100% 97% cure rate I think they said because if you, if only say forty percent of the population is going to die of cancer, but you diagnose it in a hundred percent of of the population at a certain age, only one percent might be dying in that population range. But if you uh, increase the number that you uh, treat, and, and you're um, treating people that were otherwise would never have discovered their cancer, yeah. uh, you will seem to have a high, high cure rate. Fifty um, percent of of people, hundred uh, percent of people, fifty years old and older, have a Somewhere in their body tissue that can be diagnosed as cancer,
3: right
1: so if you look hard enough, uh, you can yeah. say there's a hundred percent cancer uh, incidence uh, but no
2: a hundred percent of people will die from cancer
1: uh, yeah, yeah only a, a smaller percentage die, so it, you can claim to have cured it if, if you find it in those people who never would have developed it, but uh, when you treat the cancer increasingly as you diagnose it at an earlier age. If your treatment is killing people, then the mortality rate will increase with the diagnostic rate. And starting in 1945, the American Cancer Society publicized that you should regularly have a checkup for cancer and watch for the signs. And steadily for Uh, Forty years after that, the cancer mortality increased. Uh, In the two or three years after the prostate-specific antigen test became available, the number of diagnoses increased radically. Uh, And since there was no change in the population, uh, the mortality would be expected to stay the same. But since the treatment went up in proportion to the extreme diagnosis. increase in diagnosis. Also, the mortality suddenly surged up, strongly implying that it was the treatment they were dying of. And when you look at the people going to the hospitals, a certain proportion of those historically Uh, In the United States, between 200,000 and 440,000 are being killed by medical mistakes in the hospital. So even with the doctors being the ones judging uh, what happens to you in the hospital, uh, when you uh, use a diagnostic test to uh, herd people uh, to see, see their doctors and go to the hospital, you're you're for sure going to su- subject them to this uh, very high rate of
0: medical uh, accidents. Yeah, yeah. We've always said that the uh, iatrogenic um drug deaths uh, figures are pretty startling in terms of uh, the sheer numbers. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Ab Doctor on KMG, Garberville, ninety-one point one FM. Uh, From now until the end of the show, you're invited to call in the questions uh, about this month's topic on the uh, outbreak of coronavirus and its impact uh, worldwide. Uh, The number is 707-923-3911. That's 707-923-3911. My name's Andrew Murray.
2: My name's Sarah Johanna Murray, and we're joined by Dr.
0: Raymond Peet. Okay, I think uh, think we have a caller on the air. So let's let's just take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from and what's your question?
3: Hello? Caller, I told you to listen on the phone. Oh, well, try again. Okay, try again. Um, Uh, I do actually have someone else called in with one for me to ask you about. I wanted you to talk about the origins of the Spanish flu and theories about that and conspiracies surrounding Mm. that.
0: Okay, well, before we do that, let's just give out the number again, Michael, and then uh, you can just let me know when we've got more callers uh, lined up here. But the number is 707-923-3911. So, Dr. P, Spanish flu, 1918, extremely virulent, um, wiped out. They they imagine between 50 and 100 million. They've up-revised that number from 25 million, but um, very deadly and not necessarily due to... Um, the end of the war, and well, obviously the end of the war. But people were sick and malnourished. But um, it was a very virulent form of um, H, uh, H1N1 virus that just seemingly had a perfect storm of um, genetic ability to uh, rapidly take over um, human cells, mammalian cells. Uh, um, uh, the the
1: data uh, it, it's a very few actual tissue samples that that's based on compared to the millions of deaths. So uh, at that time uh, the flu was thought to be a a bacterial infection and uh, uh, there was one popular treatment for it uh, using camphor, uh, uh, injecting uh, camphor dissolved in oil such as olive oil Uh, and it turns out that even though they thought it was a bacteria and they believed they were curing people with this camphor treatment, about 40 or 50 years ago, someone noticed that a distillate of petroleum smelled like camphor, and they purified it and added an amino group to it to make it water-soluble and found that it an anti-influenza agent Uh, I I think it really uh, grew out of the uh, perception that uh, natural camphor was was being used widely in the First World War and uh, this uh, drug that was created uh, about 50 years ago uh, amandadine and its uh, relative remandadine and the newer memantine which it's most most known for treating Alzheimer's disease, but these are all uh, broad spectrum uh, antivirals, uh, and they happen to be safe genetically, uh, where many of the antivirals being recommended, uh, especially in the United States recently, uh, acyclovir, ribavirin, and uh, uh, chloro uh, chloro uh,
0: Chloroquine? Uh, 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 yeah, quin- quinone. Uh, uh, yeah, chloroquine, I think it is. Uh, antimonarial uh, uh,
1: Yeah, uh, all all of those happen to uh, interfere with human DNA, and they're recognized as genotoxic. So, okay. if if you have many millions of people taking those preventively, you're going to have. Millions of people with genetic damage, and you don 't want that in the young population
0: i know you've um, you 've spoken to this in the past when we 've done uh, various um, radio shows on viral disease and you're you 're not very um... I know you really want people to be healthy and you want them to be as healthy as they can be and do it as naturally as possible but you 're really not into uh, antivirals as such are you in terms of uh, safety treatment or um, these uh,
1: related to camphor, uh, memantine, for example.
0: So they're are, safe.
1: I think they're safe genetically, uh, uh-huh. and uh, uh, they're they're moderately effective against a wide variety of, of viruses. But uh, aspirin has, has, if if it w- was under patent, it, it would be considered the, the super antiviral because it's active against such a. A variety, including influenza and herpes and rhinovirus and various hepatitis viruses.
0: Well, I, d- we'll definitely, I, hold, I just want to hold you there for a moment, Dr. definitely We'll definitely have, uh, certainly make sure we have time for um, strategies here to mitigate this, but uh, I think we have a caller on the air, so let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? Yes, hello. Am I on the air? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, I'm wondering that since the
1: transmission is by droplets rather than aerosol um, that are coming from the oral or nasal cavity, which could be considered like a point source, um, similar to uh, a point source in pollution, um, why isn't? Um, wouldn't you think that mandatory wearing of masks when you're around other people? would stop the spread in its tracks. That does seem reasonable, uh, since the aerosol will uh, likely uh, uh, be be trapped on, on a
0: fairly fine porous mask. And they have always mentioned the uh, regular hand-washing as being a number one preventative because most people, unfortunately, don't even think about it, but they're constantly touching their nose, rubbing their eyes, putting their fingers near their mouth, and I think people do it probably 100 times a day unconsciously, uh, and I think and that's and as much a...
1: Soap is, is a sure-fire
0: yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: viricide for this type of virus, but yeah. it, that was in the news and shortly after... Uh, That man was hospitalized because he ate soap, thinking it it, (laughs) it would be internally. But it's not safe to eat. But it's very virucidal on the skin.
0: Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Doctor, Camby de Garberville, ninety one point one FM. From now until eight o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions uh, related to this month's uh, topic of the coronavirus, and the number is 707-923-3911 so, Michael, um, is there anybody else here that's waiting at this point in time?
3: Yes, that's yeah. what the team yeah. music means. Okay. You have two calls. Okay.
0: Yep, it's difficult to see. So, uh, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from and what's your question?
3: Hi, I just had a quick comment and the question. I'll take my answer off the air. So, hi, this is me. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, my comment is that a few months ago, Dr. Pete mentioned a few times that just forming organizations would be the best way to uh, fight whatever negative kind of impact the ruling class is having. And I realized that this this new concept of social distancing is just a great way to crush all organizations going forward. Uh, not yeah. I me, mean, not to sound too conspiracy theorist, dear like that. That's just something interesting I noticed. And my my question is that. The governor of California said around half the population is going to get infected with this virus. Do you think that's an accurate uh, projection? And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. Sure. Okay, so Dr. P,
0: I guess we should talk about this uh, looking forward, and I guess historically we'll be uh, vindicated by whatever the outcome is. But what do you think? I mean, he said Newsom said 50 to 60 million people. Uh, 60 percent. I think it's 60%. I think the 60% of the population, he said, expected to contract this virus. Yeah, uh, I think in this go-around, not just in this general yearly return. but I, I, I think that's within the, the
1: historical uh, range uh, that um, almost none of them are, will have a serious sickness, but uh, the, the stuff blows around. Uh, and uh, the, the reason there's a flu season uh, from uh, winter until uh, late spring is that during in the uh, temperate zones, uh, the, the uh, sun exposure goes down and most people become, uh, to some extent, vitamin D deficient and extremely susceptible to infection, especially viruses. And by summer, uh, the vitamin D is rising And viral immunity rises uh, very strongly, uh, ending uh, the flu season year after year. Uh, uh, Interesting.
0: I I just want to say, speak to that in terms of. uh, I have a friend who's using twenty thousand. Okay, so most people, if you're listening, vitamin D. It uh, comes in drops, and um, you know, without naming names, there's plenty of people that manufacture it. But There's one particular manufacturer in, uh, this, in Chicago here, I think that's where they're based, um, that produce a vitamin D of 4,000 international units per drop, and I don't think the CDC uh, or the other health bodies here in the States recommend anything more than 800 international units or 1,000 international units. Anyway, this um, vitamin D product is a 4,000 IE per drop product, and this particular person has been using 20,000 IU per day. Okay, so well, well over what would normally be uh, recommended and they've had labs and blood work to test their vitamin D and their vitamin D is just about in the middle of the range because it was very low to begin with and so they started using more and more and more um, and they had three or four labs done and um, at this point in time their vitamin D is about 50 picograms per mil when the reference is between 25 or 30 to 100. So how about that? It's such a variance in people.
2: So people taking your vitamin D, the best way to know whether you're taking enough is with a a skin prick test, and you can get that from the vitamin D council online, and that way you need to be aware of actually what your level is, and Dr. Pete recommends it's not below 50 nanograms per.
1: 50 Mm to 60 is a safe range, and I've seen... uh, Probably 95% of the people I've been in contact with have been below that range. And uh, there are lots of other symptoms that, that go with uh, low uh, vitamin D, uh, f- fatigue, uh, muscle weakness, uh, uh, high blood pressure uh, is strongly connected with it. And uh, the, uh, the the virus, uh, I mentioned that it. it interacts with the uh, endocrine and inflammatory uh, systems. Uh, And vitamin D and adequate calcium in the diet uh, happen to work uh, on the same part of the immune system that uh, the the drugs that the Chinese have been having success with in uh, treating people who already have the infection. one drug is uh, C-nanserin, which is a serotonin blocker. Uh, the other is Losartan, an angiotensin receptor blocker, uh, uh, AT1 uh, receptor blocker. Uh, and uh, Losartan has has been used for treating uh, uh, high blood pressure mostly. But it, it turns out that uh, all of these anti-inflammatory natural substances, uh, a good calcium intake in the diet, uh, adequate uh, vitamin D, uh, normal level of of progesterone, uh, aspirin uh, and um, uh, almost almost everything anti-inflammatory that uh, has been studied in relation to this inflammatory system uh, works in the same direction as Uh, this drug recommended by the Chinese.
2: So would you recommend that people go see their doctor and ask for a prescription of Losartan and um, Mementine and any other um, drugs? Or would you recommend people wait till they get sick to use them? I mean, what's your recommendation?
1: Uh, uh, A man in Italy uh, about a week ago emailed me about his friend with confirmed uh, uh, coronavirus. Uh, And uh, I mentioned the Chinese uh, uh, recommendations to him. He rushed out and and got a a Losartan uh, prescription. Uh, The next day he said his friend was up and out of bed and feeling good. And today I got an email from him saying that not just good, he feels like he has new lungs.
0: I wanted you to um, outline here, you mentioned uh, that the uh, um, ACE1 and ACE2 the um, the the drugs that would block that that the uh, the losartan is one of those drugs, isn't it? Uh,
1: uh, yeah, it, it blocks
0: uh, the uh, well. It, it um, uh,
1: uh, there's a lot of confusion going around because the ACE inhibiting uh, drugs have been uh, available for decades, but in just the last ten or fifteen years, uh, a lot of uh, subtle details have have been discovered. Uh, some people are saying that since the virus attacks the uh, ACE2 enzyme, that uh, th- this is the uh, receptor so called for the virus, and that this receptor uh, uh, combines with the AT1 angiotensin uh, receptor site to infect the cell and and reproduce. They say that uh, anything that increases ACE2 enzyme must increase your susceptibility to the virus, but it's exactly the opposite because ACE2 is a defensive anti-inflammatory enzyme that destroys angiotensin, even though it's called angiotensin-converting enzyme number two. What it's doing is trimming two amino acids off the end of angiotensin molecule turning it into what they call angiotensin 1 to 7 which is uh, doing the opposite uh, curing, uh, preventing uh, the the uh, fibrotic and inflammatory processes that, that damage your lungs arteries, bones, heart nerves and kidneys and so on uh, so the, the things that block the AT1 receptor also increase the ACE2 enzyme which is protective uh, so that, uh, it, it and as it turns out in fact it, it looks confusing to the old textbook idea uh, that, um, that the ACE enzymes uh, are are simply making uh, the i that uh, okay.
0: relevant okay, I'm sorry. I don't think the show would be complete without mentioning herbs, obviously, given the uh, title of the radio show. I, I kind of get lost in a lot of the science, and a lot of the uh, science does support a lot of the interactions of herbs and herbal medicines. I know in Europe, um, for... A, the uh, countless, countless years, pneumonia has been present in England uh, and in Ireland, and people have died obviously from pneumonia. It's very common in the winter. Um, there are sub, there are products uh, like pleurisy root, uh, which has been well well documented for its antibacterial effect for pleurisy, um, and then obviously other material that works to either um, cause an anti-inflammatory effect. But we did mention the uh, the whole point of the. Uh, what they call the cytokine storm in um, the pneumonic uh, uh, version or pneumonic the primary kind of pneumonia, um, you really want anti-inflammatories, and so um, echinacea root is definitely an anti-inflammatory rather than the uh, flowers. The flowers uh, have, do have an antiviral action, but I think they're probably a little bit too uh, maybe stimulating. So it's the anti-inflammatories, and then I know elderberry has been picked up a lot certainly in the press and on the internet as being uh, beneficial uh, for this particular virus. Um, Obviously things like thyme, and uh, again the antibacterials that um, the uh, Labiate, the uh, um, daisy family, oh sorry, (laughs) not daisy family, the mint family uh, exhibit a lot of those monoterpenes and terpenes there are very positively antibacterial. Uh, but I think from an inflammatory perspective, that's the main thing is to try and get on top of the inflammation. And then for secondary infections, those things that would be used as volatile oil herbs to uh, control bacterial infection. Okay, so I know we do, we do have uh, callers on the air here, and we want to make sure that the callers can get on. So let's, uh, and we're probably going to do this next month if we're all still here. I'm sure we will be, but um, let's take this next call. A Call you're on the air. Where are you from and what's your question? And we need to be Hi, fairly quick.
2: I am from the San Francisco Bay Area, and I'll take this um, off my phone. Uh, what will it take for our economy to bounce back to where it was before the coronavirus?
0: Well, good question. I know you're not an economist, Dr. Pete. Um, what do you think about the uh, potential fallout from the uh, uh, financial meltdown that's going on? Uh, the, the,
1: the government is talking about giving uh, large amounts of money to corporations uh, rather than uh, emphasizing uh, getting it directly to the population. Uh, the extremely conservative economist Milton Friedman uh, decades ago uh, proposed a minimum basic income as the way to uh, stabilize. Uh, he, he proposed for example, it would allow industry to have stayed in the United States instead of going to China. And at this point, his proposal probably wouldn't do much to to recover the industry from China. But I think he was on the right track that it's necessary to get money to the consumers, not just to the corporations. That that are losing
3: money. If I could jump in for a second, I'm going to be on Bud Rogers' show. It's not till the 19th of April. His next, uh, I guess it's the third Sunday of the month, uh, 1.30, and we'll be talking about modern monetary theory and sort of how that works in because the basic guaranteed income is sort of related to that. So I know it's a long way away, but people are asking about it. Well,
2: so I have some interesting yeah, facts that I wanted to um, mention, Dr. Pete. I was looking at the number of deaths. After you had told told me that there was an average of 44,000 people that die in the United States from flu, and right now um, when they've done the math, they've extrapolated that about 10% of those flu cases were caused by the coronavirus in previous years. Now this is a different strain. But anyways, if it was going to stick with previous years, it would be about 10% of that 44,000 would die from this coronavirus. Am I understanding you correctly, Dr. Pete? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, and Dr. Uh, Vodarg made the same point that he said, uh, according to the historical curve using those figures, he would have expected, I think he said 2,000 2,500 deaths in Germany, where at that point it was 200. So they were behind the mortality curve.
2: And then I found another um, database that talks about deaths from pneumonia, which can be pneumonia caused by anything, but um, so it could be because well, someone had
1: old, you know, a bacterial age.
2: infection. And older people, right? So basically, there was 85,000 people died in the United States in 2017, and 58,000 of those were 70 plus years old. And in China, they had in 2017 161,000, and 125,000 of those of those people were 70 years or older.
1: So,
2: these
1: deaths are from pneumonia of various causes. Uh, uh, yeah, old, old age uh, causes sepsis and pneumonia uh, as the most common causes of death, uh, uh, other than specific things like heart disease and cancer. But uh, it happens that old age changes the inflammatory system the same way this particular virus does, increasing angiotensin receptor and decreasing the protective ACE2 enzyme system. Uh, So uh, anything you're doing to protect against the the viral effects really are protecting against uh, aging. And the the main outcome of the pneumonia produced by these viruses is a chronic uh, fibrosis of the lungs. Uh, And uh, all of the things protective against uh, the inflammatory system helped help to reverse uh, the fibrosis once it has started,
2: so would you recommend people go ask their doctor for prescription of Losartan, or would you recommend um they just wait until they get it, get the virus or get the flu i i,
1: I think I, I think it's uh, not not such a problem that a person needs to go to the doctor for it uh, Almost everyone is going to have only mild symptoms from it. but
2: Right, and everyone has access to aspirin and herbs like echinacea and elderberry and astragalus and bical skullcap, and then also those antihistamines if you do get the flu, loratidine and ciproheptidine, otherwise known as periactin. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah. vitamin D, uh, vitamin B1, uh, and aspirin are, are moving this system in the corrective direction.
3: And, I
0: hate and if to you are say really it.
2: sick in the hospital, get your doctor to give you a prescription of ten.
0: <laughs> okay, we'd better hold it there. We're really close to the top of the hour. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Pete. Let me quickly mention your website, and uh, thanks for your time. Okay, thanks. Okay,
3: so Dr. Pete can be found at www.raypeat.com.